You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. From the kick. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian Laverson. With me, as always, my friend, my co-host, a man with a PhD in XG, it's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Uh, the University of ASA. The University of ASA, which is accredited, I believe. Probably not. Don't look that up. Don't fact check that. Don't look that up. <laughs> <laughs> But if you want some college credit, uh, we could probably work something out for you if you get in touch with us. That, that is that is actually a true statement. We, you know, throw a slight little nod out there. We we have had a couple interns. I think we're going to have an intern this year um, come on and do some stuff. We have some guys that uh, can teach. And uh, actually, Matthias is the former uh, math professor, so University of Portland. So, um, yeah, we we do have uh, some. We do have some cool th- opportunities and stuff for people. We joke about we This, this kind of started out as a joke, but just to kind of throw it back at you. Yeah, well, there are opportunities. Out there, yes, why not? Um, you know, if you want to be my personal intern uh, for this show, uh, I'm very happy to put you to work doing all of the research, preparation, editing, and production on it. Um, <clears throat> and with, I will just take the credit. So, I was going to say, with yeah. no credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all the credit will, of course, go to me. Um, so, uh, man, we're kind of an interesting recording time right now. We've had a couple of, uh, CONCACAF Champions League games last night. We'll get into that in a second here. Uh, currently there's a major league soccer game happening, a regular season one, New York city football club, uh, and RSL, and it's not going great for RSL. It's, it's not going great at all. Uh, we said last week that we would spend some time this week really digging into RSL and really kind of figuring out what's going wrong with this team. The good news is we're going to do that next week. And the bad news is we're sorry we're not doing it this week. But uh, we, we have some stuff we're working on. We want to give you a more coherent, holistic picture of the issues that may be plaguing this team. Uh, and we feel like we could just be better prepared for that next week. So this is like a, a next week on the American Soccer Analysis Show, RSL Talk, we promise. Probably. Yeah, no, I got, I got, I'm, I'm digging some stuff up. I got some good stuff that I've been working on. Uh, just looking at formations and stuff. I actually had a couple people hit me up about some, some questions about play style and, and formation. So I've been working on that, and it's just kind of taking me a little bit longer. But what's kind of been fun is I, I've used this opportunity to also kind of dig into RSL and there's some really interesting stuff. So we'll get into that next week. All right, so let's get into the stuff we're gonna get into this week. That's what people are here for. Um, Let's talk about the CONCACAF Champions League. Now, crazy match last night involving the New York Red Bulls, uh, who were unable to turn a lion's share of possession and so many shots uh, into the goals they needed. And Chivas Guadalajara will be facing off against Toronto FC in the CCL final. Um, talking about uh, Red Bulls, like so on the combined aggregate, and this is crazy to me, but this is, this is the truth, um, Red Bulls with 2.87 expected goals, Chivas with 0.67. Chivas wins on aggregate one nothing. Uh, obviously, when these kind of stats get publicized, uh, we get a lot of great comments uh, about how expected goals are stupid and garbage and pointless. Um, you know, do you want to do you want to respond to that? They are garbage. They are garbage, aren't they? <laughs> well, okay. So you, we we throw this out right <clears throat> over two expected goal, almost three. LA Galaxy against Kansas City, and I know we'll get into that game later, but uh, the home expected goal was almost two, and LA Galaxy was zero goals. I mean, the, it's it's not as though uh, Minnesota United uh, against Atlanta, same de- kind of similar circumstances in that Atlanta was uh, kind of bunkering because they were down a man. Um, Atlanta, two ex- <clears throat> over two expected goals, zero goals. The, the it, it happens. You you throw 11 people behind a ball. You give the bulk of uh, purpose. I'll say pur- purposeful p- possession because uh, Guadalajara still had, Chivas still had like 48% or 45%. Oh, no, it was over. It was almost 50%. 47.2% looking at it on the chalkboard of total possession, which 
uh, I, I would have guessed it was a lot lower, just judging from that first half. And I imagine if the game was over at that first half, it would have been a lot lower. But um, they really came back and tweaked some stuff. After just allowing the waves to crash against the rocks, the waves were tired, <laughs> right? They just, just seemed to be that second half just seemed to be exhaustion, I, I think all of us were exhausted from seeing the output. Uh, we are emotionally exhausted, and it just kind of um, it, it just led to a lot of pining in the 80th minute uh, by fans and uh, <laughs> soccer players alike, just begging for so, some some existence, and uh, it was ultimately denied. It's one of the things that's interesting about the expected goals model, and it's one of the things that I don't think anybody that produces them or discusses them tries tries to like gloss over in any way. Like these things, when looked at in single game states, aren't always going to make sense. Like if you look at it with just through one thing and go, oh well, you know, obviously it doesn't work. These are things that are developed over a long period of time. Um, and yeah, exactly what we were talking about is that there's definitely this idea of. And it's one of the things the model can account for, and it's it's one of the things that that's always you know until a lot more, unless somebody brilliant can come along and figure out a good way to do it, you know it, it's not going to be able to account for things like bunkering or, um, you know, being a man down. There's just certain things that it doesn't necessarily uh, have the capabilities to do. So, yes, uh, expected goals model was off on this one, but you know this was I think extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, but um, so you can kind of see, you can kind of see like some bunkering within the data set. Like there are certain um, peripheral data points, right, that you can kind of interpret as bunkering. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we've kind of discussed over the last two weeks um, that uh, Total Football threw out in uh, ASA Slack was the fact that over the last couple of years, he doesn't see any uh, real changes in the shot leverage uh, with the game states, whether... Um, you're up a man, down a man, yellow card, red card, um, which was kind of surprising to a lot of us, right? I think uh, inherently the volume um, goes up for one side. Obviously, the the team that's usually chasing has an increase in volume. They have the increase in possession. That makes sense, right? There's there's kind of some correlation there. But with that, they're not necessarily getting better shots. And in some cases, um, in a game-by-game basis, they're getting worse shots mm-hmm. because, you know, the, there's, the other team has 11 people behind the ball. So these aren't really high-yield shots. These are um, kind of uh, desperation-type moments. Right. And, right. and I think we saw that a lot in the second half. And honestly, I think you kind of saw that bear out in some cases with America and yeah. Club America. If you wanted to kind of uh, transition to uh, Toronto uh, beating them and really doing a better bunkering version of what Chivas did. Yeah, so one of the things that, that can happen in expected goals that's interesting is that you can sort of pile on a lot of expected goals through just sheer volume of low percentage shots. Um, and like, if, like, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to Toronto. Uh, you know, they, they managed to get the best at Club America probably i'd say you know the most difficult opponent they still had left um would have liked to see them play red bulls but unfortunately not this year uh so toronto won pretty you know comfortably for two on aggregate uh they had 3.04 expected goals on 18 shots uh club america had 3.91 expected goals on 43 shots and as a note uh each of those include the team's penalty worth 0.77 expected goals. And thank you to Paul Carr for uh, dropping that knowledge on us. Um, Some Something kind of like quick that I do want to note. Um, yeah. This is not our expected goal metric, right? Like the, right. right now we've been quoting, um, and forgive me, I don't actually know if this is something uh, that – where Paul Carr is getting those numbers from. I know he works for a, a new day. He's, he's left ESPN. And so I'm not necessarily sure where that, that model is associated with. I would guess it's true media um, is where he's getting that from. However, um, that 077 expected goals, it's associated with the penalty kicks. That's uh, almost three times higher than what we have um, inherently because while um, 
Well, we have three different models, right? We have a team model, we have a goalkeeping model, and then we have a player model. Um, 077 would be the associated value of a penalty kick for a, for a player. For a team, it's much lower because um, for penalties to occur, uh, it's rather chaotic and it's less probable that a penalty is given in that situation. So there's a myriad of factors uh, that we take into consideration, and that's why it's much lower in our model. It's something that uh, you know, Kevin, uh, Matthias, myself, Drew have all kind of put our heads or, heads together and just, and just ask ourselves: Does this make sense or does it not? And I think on a team by team basis, it makes sense. On a player by player basis, that makes sense, right? So understand, there's they're incorporating a little bit higher leverage for the opportunity than what our expected goal metrics normally do. Yeah, uh, and that that is true. That is true. And one of these days, we probably need to maybe even on this show just sit down and go through the model a little bit and kind of let people know how it works. Um, but certainly, they can find all that information on the website www.americansocceranalysis.com. That's my first plug of the day. I'm gonna try to get four in. Oh, I'll be counting them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I, you know, let's just uh, let, all right. Let's talk more about the game itself. Uh, it. Toronto, this is the third time in the modern iteration of the CONCACAF Champions League. There have been some changes, but this is the modern format. Um, this is the third time an MLS team has been in the final. RSL has been there before. Uh, Montreal has been there before. And now Toronto FC's here. And I don't know, man. I kind of feel like this is the first time I think we're actually probably going to win this thing. Uh, so here so here <laughs> ever the polemic yeah so so ever the skeptic right um yeah it, it's really it i i think it's a really nice ring to throw out there and be like oh mls is on the verge of winning and you know they're kind of already taking some of the glory away from uh chivas who you know let's let's just say it they they weren't expected to get past the sounders they weren't expected to get past red bulls they've been kind of doubted mm-hmm. every at every situation and really while they haven't they haven't played beautiful brand of you know soccer as you know a lot of people would say they've played very strategic very intelligent very physical uh brand and and they've successfully executed it i would say um yeah, almost at every pragmatic step. yeah um and, and with that it kind of couples with toronto i don't think um Toronto doesn't demand a lot of the ball. They don't need a lot of the ball. You can see Club America beat them in, I say beat them in possession, but uh, you know, Toronto isn't, they're very flexible tactically, right? So they're going to pretty much give you what, what they get. Um, Most of the time uh, through this tournament, they've been going with a, uh, what is it? A five, four, one kind of uh, maybe a five, three, two, type formation yeah that, um, well they've got that hybrid thing that kind of slides in between those two formations sure i would i would expect they're going to go a little bit more 442 ish in the, in at least the first leg and i think they're going to push up a little bit higher i think that um chivas is probably going to see it a little bit more of uh possession and you know this i think this will be a really good matchup i don't think anyone should be giving this to TFC. And, and I know everybody's like, oh, no one's giving anything away, but they're just the better team. And <clears throat> let me just say, first of all, I've kind of been a TFC doubter in a lot of ways, just because from the data perspective, I don't see, and, and Bobby Warshaw articulated this perfect, I don't see what they're great at. I see what they're good at. I don't see at what one specific thing they're great at. They're very good at a lot of things. That's... But, I do, not, right? No, absolutely, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> you, what you, you want to be. Yeah, uh, but but most times, I mean, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, we think of elite teams being as great, um, not good. And in this connotation, we're talking about a team that's just good, but good at a lot of different things. And that might be why this is kind of the best MLS team. And I mean, why I think this if, is the best version of the If you have a team that's good at a lot of things, that's probably a great team. 
Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I see where you're going with this, but there's, I think, I think the secret to the success is the problem here. Like, I mean, I, it, the fact that they're so good at different things is why they're so successful because they're good defensively. They're good at passing. They're good at being organized. They're good tactically. They're good at attacking. They have great talent at every position, just about on the pitch. And that's not a usual thing, um, you know, in this region. So I, <clears throat> I, I, well, I agree with you that, that there is not a guarantee here and that Chivas, but, Especially over a two-leg final, which is still crazy to me that they do a two-leg final. But that's an interesting wrinkle in this tournament. Um, you know, anything could happen over the course of those two legs. Going down to Mexico is always difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I think Toronto are pretty good. No, I think I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm not trying to like you know uh, get angry uh, TFC uh, emails or anything <laughs> like we, that. It's too late for that. <laughs> There's already been three in my inbox. Yep. And we haven't even published this. Yep, uh, but it. It's just confounding. They're they're not the best in expected goals. Uh, they're not the best in our expected passing metrics. There's there's not one thing you can necessarily point to. They're not the best at uh, preventing um, you know shots from uh, occurring and even in certain spaces, right? Like you even take it to game states. They're not the best, and and that's why I say um, it's it's odd for me, right? Like we look at these at at these things. And most of the time, you know, NYCFC and uh, New York Red Bulls, I mean, they are elite pressing teams, right? They, they are just exceedingly good at what they do. They are the best at what they do. And so just a departure, right? Like you said, there's not a, there maybe are no teams. I I would even venture to say that are as tactically flexible and um, just uh, the dexterity, I guess, uh, from a personnel p- perspective that that they have. There are no other associated uh, clubs in the CONCACAF region. Uh, and, and I'll just throw that out there. I, I, I kind of firmly believe that right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, depth-wise, no, I think you're right. I don't, I don't know of any... I do. I, I do have something though. I you talked about there not being, and I'm going to show my ignorance on the podcast. I have no problem ever doing that. I do that with something every week. I do Copa week, uh, Copa Libertadores. Uh, they do a home and home final, don't they? They yes, they do. I believe you're. So right that's that. what. Uh, so okay, I was okay. gonna say. I think your UEFA bias is showing. I think your Euro your Euro snob is showing. It's more like Euro Cacaf. <laughs> it's like a blend. Euro, U, UEFA Euro, Con. Yeah. UEFA Con. Okay. UEFA Con. <laughs> Speaking of which, UEFA Con will be held this week at the uh, Grand Marriott. And uh, all right, let's move on. Um, let's do it. Predictions. You think Toronto can pull this out? I hate predictions. Um, that's why I make you do them. Yeah, let's let's say no. Let's say Chivas upsets. I want to say Chivas upsets. You know why? Why not go in that direction? There you um, go. Someone's got to be wrong. Uh, I think Toronto take it three one on aggregate. That's my prediction, and they are never right. So that's a guaranteed thing not to happen. I mean, it's I guess it's at Toronto at home, so. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll go with Toronto. I, I'll change. I'll flip flop. I'll say Toronto wins in the first leg, but um, I, <clears throat> I think it's gonna be close. I really do think it's gonna be close. Well, hopefully, Major League Soccer can get over this bump finally, <clears throat> get this in, get some respect, Rodney Dangerfield style. Um, all right, that's our Concacaf Champions League segment. Um, it's time to move on to my favorite segment, your favorite segment, the interesting side of the week, and this just so happens to have something to do with. Toronto FC. Amazing. I love that. Uh, this week, that comes to us from our friend at the Dummy Run on Twitter. Uh, and he wanted me to let the people of Toronto know that views and more life were extremely low XG. It's a little uh, Drake shade for people that aren't cool like us. Um, anyway, thank you again to the Dummy Run. Now, he tells us that this season, Josie Altador has played 270 minutes and made 57 passes in the attacking third for a grand total of. 0.0 expected assists, which is a little bit unusual. Uh, furthermore, and he goes on here, when I looked at 2017 data a while back, Josie produced about 23% of TFC's expected goals. So far this season, he's got 59%, which I'm pretty sure is pretty high. Um, what's going yeah, on here, Harrison? That, no, that's, that's very high, <laughs> it's right? It's extremely uh, high, isn't it? 
Yeah. That's more than Nikolic, I believe, last year for Chicago, and that was extremely high. Uh, Nikolic... It's right that, there. Yeah, that's right there. Because I was going to say, Nikolic was at times flirting with 60%. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, regardless, it, it's high, right? Um, mm-hmm. The one thing that is just kind of looking through the, the data set that we have and um, looking at Josie Altador, you, of course, can go out and do this on your own on our nice, cool, interactive graph. Um, at www.americansocceranalysis.com. That's two. There we go. Um, you can see his solo percentage is actually up. And what that solo percentage is, is just how many unassisted shots he's taking. So one thing that you can kind of discern is that he's probably passing less or passing, uh, uh, less frequent. Um, that might have to do with, uh, Sebastian Giovinco dropping a little bit further back into the, uh, midfield. So, and this is just speculation on, on my behalf right now. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I would point towards. Um, you could also say Giovinco didn't play a couple games, so that probably has something to do with it uh, as well. Makes sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's had to kind of... It, a lot of Toronto's stats are interesting right now because of CONCACAF Champions League and how much that's kind of thrown lineups into this kind of constant state of flux. Um and certainly I think Giovinco is one that's been had his minutes managed uh, with kind of an eye towards CONCACAF Champions League being a priority. So that could explain that. Sorry, I, I got nothing more for, for Giovinco. It's so early. It's so early in the in the se- in the season for for to kind of try to extrapolate uh, why, especially for what, what Toronto has three games. Uh, I believe four. They have four. I mean, it, it's not that many, just because of the fact that you know MLS has um kind of parlayed their schedule to uh, create opportunities to keep, to make sure their um, Toronto's resting their players for these big matches. Um, would, honestly, I have no issue with that. I think that that's um that would be happening regardless, and it happened for New York as well. I think it's great that um. You know, MLS is coming in at a time that's early on in the season. It's it's already a little bit difficult to get everybody all on the same sheet of music. So um, I think it's great that MLS is kind of affording these teams that luxury um, because yes. ultimately it's yes. not it like is, they're... it is. Well, yeah, I it mean, is it, three games. It is three games. It yeah. is three games. I mean, ultimately they're going to have to play, replay these games uh, later on in the season. They're not gaining anything over their opponents by playing these later in the season. And in fact, if anything, it's going to create more problems because they're going to have these midweek games that, yeah, they have games in hand, but they're going to have to uh, double up. I, yeah. yeah. I'm not and sure that's... that that's always um, – that's uh, having games in hand isn't always necessarily a good thing. Well, I mean, essentially you're backloading your schedule, and so you're tacking on games to when your players are, you know, the most stretched, the most tired, already have more miles on them under the season. Um, we've been flirting with doing a study about this. Uh, yeah, I, do it. I am really interested to see about how these, these games in hands are effective, but I've always kind of gone against the idea that games in hand are an advantage, uh, which seems to be prevailing theory, especially when it comes to... Uh, European soccer. Uh, a lot of those pundits and press talk about those like they're, they're you know they're practically points in the bank. But always, always you want the points and not the not the not the potential ones. No, agree. So, okay, so only three games. Looks like Josie Altdorf's played most all those minutes. Uh, we know that Giovinco hasn't, and uh, it shows. Uh, the only really, I mean, it is sort of interesting. I think that there is um, he's made fifty seven passes. You know, in the attacking third, not one of those has resulted in an actual shot. That, but that one other thing though is that he does have uh, 0.36 or something uh, expected goal chains that comes from expected buildup. That expected buildup uh, is basically uh, being involved in the passing chain leading up to a shot, but not taking mm-hmm. the shot and not being the the person that provides the pass for the shot. So he's helped facilitate. Right. It's not as if he's re- being removed from the facilitation of goal creation, right? Like he's, uh, it's not like if he's not taking the shot, he has nothing to do with it. He's still active in the, in the buildup process. And that's, I think that's critical for him and hit what he does and what, 
in the attacking third, that hold-up play that he performs and helps spray that ball out along with Giovinco. And when Giovinco's not there, I mean, you have uh, uh, Victor Vasquez uh, that is also in that kind of quasi-forward position, um, central attacking position. So he's going to team with him as well. And uh, Vasquez has been injured as well. So, I mean, so you talk about three games and two of the more to the three critical positions, that's probably why Josie has that inflated amount. All right. It'll be interesting to see if Josie can continue his contributions to Toronto FC this year. It won't. We know it won't. But uh, I mean, he'll still be a really good player. I don't think Toronto FC is is as successful with uh, Josie being above 50%. I I would dare say. Well, yeah, and I I don't. And I don't think that that's if you're a Toronto FC fan. I don't think you want that stat to be true either. You would like to see that spread out a little bit more. Um, so uh, anyway, thank you very much again to at the Dummy Run on Twitter. Um, we appreciate the uh, the heads up on this stat. Uh, as always, if you find an interesting stat that you think we'd like to discuss here on the show, hit us up on Twitter at Analysis Evolved, and uh, we'll be happy to share it probably. Uh, as long as it's you know related to American soccer or Canadian soccer. MLS, Conquer Cafe, and in, in, in region, um, we'll be okay to go with it. Um, all right, that was our interesting start of the week segment. Um, we have another segment here, uh, but it's going to be kind of a short one because we don't really have a player that I just noticed might be elite and that we can go through. Uh, but we do have an elite performance this week, I'd say. Um, and that, so I'm going to award an ASA Player of the Week award, regardless of the fact that we already know he's really good. Um, and that's the last year's goalkeeper of the year, Tim Milia, um, who against the Los Angeles Galaxy, against Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, 10 saves. Um, managed to keep a clean sheet while supporting Kansas City get a 2 nothing uh, win on the road at a newly resurgent Los Angeles uh, the 10 saves is a sporting Kansas City record, and in case you were wondering, just because I know I was, the all-time record for saves in a game goes all the way back to 1997. Uh, Tony Mayola, playing for the Metro Stars, made 15 saves. DC United still won that match 2-1. There you go. A little MLS history lesson for you. I like how you brought that in there. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, the uh, <laughs> Obviously, we have talked a little bit this year about how uh, SKC has had a little bit more trouble defensively than usual, but I think um, you know it's hard to argue that that Tim Milia is still uh, an extremely uh, top level MLS goalkeeper and and right near the top of the list of guys you'd, you'd pick if you had to. Well, and I think maybe we could <clears throat> we could have turn this discussion a little bit. Uh, this is usually our is that you ask me if this player is elite. Now I suppose in this situation you could ask me is SKC an elite defense and. Um, I think that's probably fair because it's not necessarily laying blame at any one specific thing's feet. Uh, no. Certainly not Timelia, who, you know, not. as we both uh, can agree, is a very fine goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. But SKC now leads the league in expected goals against. Again, and they do? They they do. They do as of this morning when we updated our tables. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and not only, that. not only that, but they... Uh, Oh, that might be from like run of play and even game states or something yeah. stupid that I look at because I, I don't care about the the, the regular numbers. I want to look at ex- I want generally how I look at it is I'm going to look at what are what's happening from open play and what's happening um, in even game states because um, certainly that's when you're trying to win the win the game right is in that even game state. Yeah, that's when you're trying to. No, most of the time you're playing for three points, um, especially at home, and. Uh, yeah, they just – I don't know what's going on. I, I, I've i heard some uh, some talk about maybe it, it's partially teams exploiting the fact that Felipe Gutierrez has pushed up a little bit further, which has you know, caused some matchup issues, um, which, which is an interesting theory and pr- makes some sort of sense. Um, yeah, based on just a cursory examination of what he's been doing, he does seem to be a, a bit more attacking than the average defensive midfielder. Yeah, and really, well, with his, he it's not like he was, I guess he's he's supposed to place, replace uh, Benny Fellhaber, who, you know, Fellhaber, he would be in the attacking third, but, yeah, I mean, 
in the attacking third, not in the 18. Like, right? Gutierrez right. <laughs> is all up in that thing. Like, he's yeah. and they, like he's a striker. I mean, he's yeah. channeling Icopara from the back. I mean, all of them are running forward. Roman Torres yeah. runs onto the field and takes striker role too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all of them together. And Some it's, players just can't let go of the dream. They, they can't. And look, you know, it's it's not as if Felipe Gutierrez has been bad by any stretch of the imagination. No, he's been very successful at doing just that. Um <laughs> He has, and to a degree, you probably can point to the fact that this is what they are facilitating exactly the uh, what Peter Vermees wants to have happen. Um, but in doing so, there's still some struggles tactically in tightening up um, other areas of, of that pitch that um, Eli Sanchez just hasn't quite... Um, he's doing a lot more work than what he's done in the past. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Roger Espinoza, who... He's not a young man anymore. He doesn't necessarily have the uh, have the legs to continue to keep up with uh, all that stuff. I mean, the last few years he's been primarily a box to box type guy. So um, uh, now they're asking him to kind of be that quasi six <laughs> with Sanchez. So it, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of interesting how it hasn't necessarily worked out. Um, it's something that I'm definitely going to continue to watch, but uh, they are no, they are no longer elite in my in my opinion. So, all right, let's just roll into it then, since our next segment is the one where we review the games. And the last game, the, and the first game we were going to talk about anyway was the Los Angeles Galaxy versus Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Sporting Kansas City, as we mentioned, won that game two nothing. Uh, Los Angeles Galaxy put up. A lot of shots. A lot of shots. Lawton especially came on, and the team sort of became... It's interesting to me, and I wonder if this is going to be a problem for them going forward. Uh, The team didn't seem to really click, or... mm, I don't know. I I don't want to use stupid metaphors, but but, uh, they didn't seem to really hit the next gear until he came on. And by that point, it was a bit too late. No, that's... I I, I don't think that... There's obviously something missing, a dynamic that uh, is failing to engage the players. And I don't know exactly what that is either, because it seemed like they were having to get a lot of that from Ashley Cole. And uh, that's probably not where you want to get it. No disrespect to Ashley Cole. I think he's had some really great moments early on. Maybe not in the second half. He had he had some moments in the second half that were shaky, but you know, toss those out. And really, that's um, I, there, I've heard a couple of people point out that it's just likely due to the amazing work he did in the first half. Right? Siggy mm-hmm. needs to have somebody that he can replace him with, and he doesn't. Right? Like he's running yeah. Cole ragged, and then he has nobody to replace him with, which. Um, that would be a thing uh, that Patrick Vieira probably would have struggled with had Pirlo ran around. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's, I think it's something that, uh, and and less jokey, I think it's something that uh, Patrick Vieira is kind of trying to hedge with David Villa. Um, Villa is completely active, but uh, when he's out there on the field, but I think that it's about trying to make sure that there's somebody that they can sub in for, you know, that they, uh, the yeah. high quality player that they're just replacing him with. And so taking it back to LA, they have to figure out, you know, it seems like they keep expecting uh, Chris Pontius. They keep expecting uh, in this game, they expected uh, Allison Drini to be that kind of spark plug. And it was very apparent that I don't think he's healthy yet. I don't think he yeah. may, he yeah, may be he healthy. He's hobbled. not fit. Yeah. And yeah. he was he was uh, almost transparent about that uh, during during his interview with ESPN, which I was kind of like I I as the viewer felt awkward. Like you're telling me you're not fit going on there. Like your touch isn't good. That you're not going to be able to run for 90 minutes. You know you could say a lot of things about Alison Drini, but. He's an honest man. Well, I, I look no disrespect to him. Uh, it's still, it's still not great that Ziggy is starting him, and it shows the lack of depth that LA has, that the Galaxy have at their disposal. Mm-hmm. When you have to start, or you feel like you have to start guys that aren't uh, 100%, and it's really reminiscent to some of those uh, Sounder squads in which they would start. Um, yeah, and I think 
this isn't something that's unique to the Los Angeles Galaxy. I think a lot of teams have players that, you know, aren't... I think a lot of these players, you know, aren't ever going to be, like, 100% throughout the course that's, of the That's not the same season. thing. That's not the same thing. Right, right, right. But, I mean, I'm just saying that, that it's... At some point, the way you get fit is you play. And that's when you get your match sharpness, is what I think Alessandrini was mostly talking about. Um, and... I, I I understand why you know you put the guy in. Uh, I think obviously you, you wish that you maybe had somebody else there as well. Um, but it's not as if like he played terribly. It, it just you know there wasn't that sort of. Also, he was kind of playing in an unusual position, right? Uh, yeah. So he was playing as as basically the ten, um, which was really interesting. I don't think it really worked um, half as much as kind of what I had in my mind. Um, I think we we were all talking about this before the game. I wasn't, it wasn't me coming up with this, but um, the fact that this would hopefully prevent LA from throwing in cross after cross after cross, like there would be some sort of facilitation for mm-hmm. um, Ola Kamara. And that just wasn't the case. And kind of interesting about Ola Kamara, he had five shots and he had four key passes. And majority of that came as a result of bringing on Zlatan. And for two guys that everybody seems absolutely fearful that they're not going to work together, they really worked well together. <laughs> well, I think I think Ola Kamara is just rightfully saying, I'm just going to defer to Zlatan on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Give the band the yeah, ball. but it wasn't even like it wasn't even like uh, it wasn't Jordan Morris. I'm going to not ever shoot uh, because Clint Dempsey told me not to, or Giazzi Zardes like getting scolded on the side by Robbie Keane, right? Like this isn't some young player just like you know shagging balls and then just giving up on runs. The dude legitimately worked his tail off and did so with the intent that it was for the the greater good and not just. F- that it was going to be for the greater good, but it was for the Zlatan good. And that, that was really kind of interesting to watch unfold. Yeah. Also, it, for those that are playing the ASA drinking game, interesting. There you go. There you go. Stay. Don't drive out there. Um, all right, let's move on to the next game I have here on my list. Chicago won Columbus zero. Um, Chicago getting an early ish goal. I think like 20 minutes, 30 minutes in through Nikolic. Nice little poacher's effort. As per usual with him, uh, generating 0.5 expected goals. Columbus coming up scoreless, generating 1.79. Um, we saw a lot of great chances created by Columbus, I think. Um, but ultimately, just one of those games, I think, where it just wasn't going to quite go their way. Yeah, Pedro Santos and uh, Jesse Zardes both had really good games. Zardes had that uh, one off the post. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> Look, that that's just kind of how things go some days. Some days you get lucky, some days you don't. Um, I re- expect uh, lowered expectations should be out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I kind of wrote about Zardes. Zardes made the uh, the top five this week. One thing that I, I touched on a little bit was that everybody's going to be quick to talk about either Zardes choking or you know his lack of finishing there in that situation yeah or his first touch whatever the narrative well in this in this case I think his first touch was something to be praised about it was really good it was it was so good and it wasn't even that he did it with his uh with his left foot he he made the the trap with his right foot actually and just parlayed it right onto his left foot where he took the shot it was a really excellent excellent sequence and he just flat out beat sanchez and he really he kind of beat himself <laughs> yeah hit the bar uh yeah it was it was uh it was almost a little too it's weird to say about a shot that doesn't go in. It was almost a little too good of a finish. Like it was almost a little too top corner that it didn't need to quite be there. <laughs> like, yeah, had, that's probably some more space. True. Yeah, um, but uh, again, I think that one thing that you can say about this uh, Zardes to Columbus experiment is that it seems to be working overall. I really enjoyed seeing him kind of come back into his own, uh, being a focal point. Um, you know, having a position and, and that position being his and not having to kind of. Um, you know, defer to other players around him. And, you know, we talked about how 
Columbus is very good at, at creating chances um, and that, that a guy like Zardes might do really well in this environment. And so far, so good, I think. I think it's really poignant to uh, also bring up the fact that Christian Mar- Martinez, who's basically replacing Justin Miram, has uh-huh. hardly skipped a beat. Yeah, um, he's great. Both him and Nico Hansen have done a, a great job holding down that side. And I'm really excited to, just to continue to see them develop. Because, I mean, Martinez is only 23. I think mm-hmm. uh, Nico Hansen's like, what, 20? Um, yeah. So it, this is this is a young dynamics. This is basically what we expected RSL to be in some ways. <sighs> RSL. Anyways. Uh, next game, uh, FC Dallas 1, Colorado 1. Uh, Colorado very nearly stole all three points on the road here. Uh, Christian Coleman, of all players, one of our favorite topics of discussion at the American Soccer Analysis Institute of Technology. I just gave us more titles. Uh, <laughs> is what, what what the deal is with Christian Coleman. Uh, good for him. Good good finish. Uh, I think you, you could probably point some fingers at Colorado's defense and wonder how that happened. And certainly... Uh, a little heartbreaking to to almost get all the way to the end and 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 sort of eh, just blow it. But uh, it's hard to argue that FC Dallas probably deserved it. Uh, 1.48 expected goals to Colorado's 0.66. Uh, but Colorado's scrappy, man. They're uh, I think I think they're not going to ultimately amass a great record, but I think they're going to annoy a lot of teams on the way. They're going. To, they. I think Scrappy is a great. I, that's that's the cliche thing to call some team. But no, they are. They really are because they're they're entertaining to watch. There's a lot of events. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of stuff that they're trying. They're not a boring team. And at least that's an upgrade over last year. Um, yeah. I think that they're going to get progressively better as the season goes on, and that could uh, overwhelm some teams that don't expect it. Yeah. You gotta come correct if you're gonna to come to Colorado. It's the Mile High State. <laughs> uh, our next game, uh, Orlando City three, Portland two. That was, uh, man, that was an interesting game. Uh, obviously, uh, Orlando City. We've seen question now. Uh, Dwyer's back. Uh, this team is looking a little bit more dangerous, but throughout the first what seventy minutes, completely played off the park by Portland. Um, now, in the end, uh, Orlando City did generate 2.14 expected goals to Portland's 1.81. Portland with plenty of chances, plenty of chances in the second half to put this one to bed, put this beyond doubt, did not do it. Um, a bit of a controversial penalty call. I'll say that. I can see both sides of it. But, you know, we'll, we'll call that penalty call on the harsher side. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they've dropped all three points on the road yet again. Yeah, this is this is a weird one, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't really know what to say about Portland's defense besides it's not been great. And uh, same thing we've been saying for years, right? Like that's right. Like that's nothing necessarily new. Like, uh, but at the same time, (sighs) Orlando City didn't just throw up two point one four expected goals in that last 30 minutes or last 25 minutes mm-hmm. um i'd be interested to see it by half because i would assume most of it was in the second half yeah i i would say that it's pretty equally proportioned and look orlando city did a good job about creating opportunities it might not have been a lot of these memorable in your face uh mm-hmm. situations but they they continually create and they will continue to create from minute zero to minute 90. And that's, that's just what I was going to say about I mean, Orlando. Th- I don't know if you could say this about any other team in the league. That they're going to play you 90 minutes. Like, they do not turn right. off. Like, I know that that's very narrative driven because we see them do a lot late. But that's not that's not an accident. That's not luck. Well, what's kind of interesting is if you walk actually down their entire lineup, every one of their players got a shot. For the starting eleven, every single Even one Joe of their Bendick? players. Well, okay, so take away Bednick. Uh, I was hoping so you did. Oh well. <laughs> the, we had the, a goalkeeper the, shot this this the, week. We did. We? <laughs> yes, we did. And I that's. Remember who it was? Uh, you're you're not talking about CCO. You're talking about actual. 
Yeah, MLS. We had a goalkeeper yeah, shot. Yeah, uh, because I want to say I scored it, and I don't remember who it was. All right. Well. Anyways, yeah. so I mean, the point of the matter is, is that Orlando is opportunistic, right? They're going to jump all over you, and sometimes it might not always come through in a visual representation that you know is exquisite. This is a gem, but from an underlying numbers perspective. They're they're kind of interesting. Yeah, they're forceful. You know who a guy I like is? Who? I like this guy Pino a lot. I don't know. No, I I like him as well. I think that's I haven't a, looked at I, any like any significant numbers. But every time I have another, I'm always like, okay, Pino's on. Interesting. No, no, uh, I I I, I kind of have. You know, it's funny because you and I have some overlap on certain players that we like, and mm-hmm. I kind of just guessed that that would that would be one that we would have. Yeah. some overlap on i kind of like the guys that come through like the nsl like kind of yes. rise up the ranks and just yeah it's like that's a good career path i like to see that so um i don't know we might have some good things from orlando city in store uh it, it's uh one thing we can always promise you is that it will not be a boring game with them i, I don't yeah i don't generally foresee that coming yeah but uh 24 shots doesn't doesn't just happen in the last 20 minutes of a game man you know i didn't even realize they got that high well done orlando city well done uh, our next game, Philadelphia won, San Jose won. Um, Agnes Erickson, I believe it was, for San Jose getting on the board, his first for them. Um, Philadelphia continuing to just sort of, um, you know, just be in Philadelphia. Uh, they did generate a lot of chances, 2.25 expected goals to San Jose's 0.84. Um but I don't think that there was a lot of revelations in this game. No, I actually fell asleep twice trying to watch this game. Um, <laughs> no, it, <clears throat> look, and, and I, I kind of joke about that. I actually did. I was sick. Um, <sighs> Magnus Eriksson's really interesting. Um, I, I I keep waiting to see more from him. Um, this was a good goal, but... Yeah, San Jose still has a lot of underlying issues. And I'm waiting to kind of see what type of team they are because they're different than what they kind of landed on last year, which makes a lot of sense just from the restructuring and some of the changes that they went through with personnel. Um, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is really interesting this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, They they continue to stockpile shots. and with that, they continue to kind of stockpile expected goals. So um, right now, as is, I think, and I can double check this real fast. Yeah, they are the leader in Eastern Conference expected goal differential. Um, they're tied with Columbus. Um, so wow. it, they're kind of sneaky right now. Uh, this was a draw. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of, if they're yeah, if they're going under the radar, it's because they've only won once. Right, and, and I think it, the other side of it also is we uh, automatic. There are so many memes surrounding uh, the dupe, right? There are so many memes that kind of surround um, Philadelphia, Ernie Stewart. We're using analytics, you know, type of uh, tongue-in-cheek cachet cliche mm-hmm. throw around yeah. um and it, it just is jay simpson all these other jokes that we have and they've kind of put together a strong team but they've done so through youth it's like they're you're we're finally seeing the fruition of kind of some of those young players not necessarily that they've reached their peak but they've uh they've ripened to a point that they can start actually being on display, right? Yeah, we hear a lot of teams and a lot of people talk about, you know, hashtag play your kids. Philadelphia's hashtag playing their kids. Like, that back line is young. That back line is all, like, guys youngest they... back Youngest back line ever in MLS history. Yeah. Did you? I'm not, not sure if you... Terribly? No, not at all. I, yeah. I mean, their expected goals against is only 3.8. I, yeah. Again, that's the lowest in MLS. Uh, I'm sorry, Toronto has the lowest yeah. expected goals against right now, but Philadelphia also has one more game played. So, yeah. um, you know, whatever. Something but, to consider. 
yeah, they they definitely uh, they're definitely very interesting right now. All right, um, Salt Lake wins two to one over Vancouver. All right, so finally getting getting a win there, uh, getting another one. I guess that's their second win of the year. Um, that's surprising. Yeah, um, you know it was. I, I still don't think I saw a lot from RSL that makes me feel confident that they're going to change or that there's, well, I mean, I, they're obviously they can change. Like no, no team has to remain exactly the same throughout. Um, but it was, it's one of those kind of situations where, you know, the things just kind of went their way a little bit on this one and, you know, full credit to them for getting it done when they could, uh, you know, uh, late goal from Savarino. Um, I, I guess what I would say is that we were going to talk about, again, I, I, we'll, we'll save a lot of this for next week because we'll, we'll do a deep dive on RSL. Um, you know, let's just say after watching that game and that win, I am not surprised that they just lost 4 nothing to New York City Football Club. Well, they have the highest expected goals against per yes, game. that's uh, problematic. So, you know, we talk about uh, SKC has the most uh, in general uh, totality wise, but if you were to look on a, they also have an extra game on RSL, or at least they, they did, I would imagine after that display, uh, tonight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, RSL secured that place, uh, pretty handedly, but they're averaging almost two, uh, uh, expected goals against like, you don't win anything with that. It's you, not a good way to win soccer games. No, it, it's not. And, uh, to be quite candid, um, this is the opposite of what a Mike Petke team looks like, and so yeah. it, we'll we'll deep dive into this. But I am I am thoroughly flummoxed, and uh, the, even with all the changes, uh, yeah. something has. So, this is a really smart organization. I I really like not just Mike Petke. I like who they have in place. Uh, from their general manager to, you know, technical direction, mm-hmm. things that they've talked about, things that they've released. I like their organizational, uh, you know, they're a hard team not those. to like and root. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are. So there's a lot going on. That's good there. It's just not clicking for some reason and it's not clicking at all. And it's weird. And it, we're going to talk about it. But it's it. not. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, <laughs> suspended. I get yeah. it. Cliffhanger next week on the American soccer analysis show. Um, all right, we got two more games. Uh, this one, Atlanta United 5, Los Angeles Football Club 0. That was, um, that got ugly. At the yeah. end. Uh, uh, that's a weird game. Um, it's not weird that Atlanta scored a lot of goals because that's what Atlanta does at home. Yeah. Um, it is weird that LAFC were so... Well, we've seen the we've seen the wheels just kind of fall off the wagon a little bit for them, and I know it's we're still small sample size here, but you know they take a, a three nothing lead and uh, you know or I guess just after half. All of us knew there were going to be goals in this game. All yeah, of us of knew course. that there were going to be goals in this game. I just we don't thought think that we thought all of them were going to be <laughs> right. It's so right. Many. Yes. Right. I would, have, I would have believed a five-goal game. I would have believed a 3-2 Atlanta. I would have believed a, a 4-1 Atlanta, even. I would have been like, boy, that sounds weird. But, um, you know, okay, a couple things here, obviously. Uh, Atlanta getting two penalties uh, back-to-back late in the game. Uh, also, uh, LAFC's uh, Moutinho gets sent off um, for a, a handball in the box. Um and then at that point, you know, it was just sort of uh, an exhibition passing exercise for Atlanta, and they tacked another one on for the fun of it at the end. Uh, but I think it's still fair to say that uh, Atlanta was looked – if you looked at that lineup and saw that back line, you would have thought there's a chance here for Los Angeles. Yeah. there. I mean, look, Miles Robinson was starting his first professional game. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Already, you had some question marks. Perez was out because of the red card. Mm-hmm. You got McCann. You've got McCann. Does, McCann just he, he's a MLS replacement level player, and yeah. that's not bad. 
that's not bad. I mean, honestly, that's something you that, that you you absolutely need those. And he's going to be an impact player um, for Atlanta this season because um, just having that depth on the uh, average depth on your bench, which is, you know, we talked about it with Toronto at the beginning. You need uh, average to, you know, not terrible players on your team because th- that's just how MLS works right now yeah. um, comparatively. And, you know, look, even the most terriblest uh, soccer player in USL or NAIA or whatever else is still better than me. But that's this is all By relative, right? Yes. So looking at it, LAFC has basically in our expected goals kind of ranking has them paired with teams like SKC, FC Dallas, Orlando, who, I mean, all these are teams that threw up 20 shots, threw up these just buckets of goals this week, um, Orlando City in bunches, you know, towards the end. And yeah, there were some scrupulous uh, terms, you know, associated with it, but mm-hmm. they still are a really good team. And so to see LAFC not just throw up zero goals, but to barely put up an expected goal, mm-hmm. it, it was underwhelming. It was an underwhelming. And, and Atlanta handedly had this game, I think, after the the weird recalled red card. It's yeah, like that's they such just a weird al- scene. They they just allowed that to completely deflate them, and yeah, yeah, they got bit by the var bug several times. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything anything too uh, outside of just the weird kind of. You don't usually see two penalties in the last few minutes back to back like that. You don't usually see a red card rescinded. Um, although I guess you do now in MLS. Well, <laughs> Laurent Simon probably should have been thrown thrown out. Yeah, he also should have gone too. And yeah. like, I don't want to. Bantering about referee decisions. You do, yeah, you don't. We, we do around here no. because it's it's not something that can be. It's super it's subjective. It's yes. super subjective. And look, you have to play the game that's that's handed to you. Yes. And once you start putting the game into a referee's hand, it's subjective and things are going to change. And sometimes they change in your favor. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And that's just life. And you have to play the hand that you're given. Yeah. So with that, it feels like LAFC completely just became uh, completely burdened by the fact that they did not have something go the, their way. And you've seen that with several other teams early on this season that mm-hmm. have uh, not had things go their way. And they can, they almost throw a fit on the field. They almost, a collection of the 10 other players or um, the 11 other players, depending on if there's a red card or not, um, mm-hmm. they just kind of throw almost like this fit the rest of the game. They look like they were hard done and that life owed them something because they got a red card. They should be getting something that equalizes the situation. And that's just yeah. not the game. That's not the, the hand that you're being given. You have to change. You have to adapt. You have to grow through that. Um, and I think this is one of those cases where uh, LAFC just couldn't get past it mentally. All right. For our last game of the week, which is actually the first game of the week, Friday night soccer, New England four, Montreal zero. This was like, again, I don't, this was barely a game. I don't even, I, I have nothing to say about this. Uh, Fear Tider gets sent off in the 14th minute. Uh, Montreal proceeds to do absolutely nothing but defend, and they didn't even defend very well. Uh, New England uh, threw up, what, three expected goals? Montreal 0.16. Um, I, this is a good example of what we were just talking about, where something didn't go their way. Uh, early and the team just collapsed and whatever game plan you have when you get a man sent off is thrown out the window and it's especially hard when it's done that early um, because you're kind of forced into this decision this mindset of am I going to try to hold on to a nil-nil thing am I going to you know and it, it doesn't always when you put yourself on the back heels that early uh, it doesn't take much for the dam to break and it broke and uh, credits New England for getting it done uh, I think we saw a really good game from uh Wilfred Zahibo, I think that was his first really good uh, showing. Um, good for Andrew Farrell getting his first MLS goal, who will be featured in this week's Lowered Expectations. Um, it's, uh, I will say this. We've been critical of the New England Revolution. We have been critical of, oh my gosh, how can you not play Lin Wen? 
Uh, how can you handle this situation like the way you're doing it? We don't know much about Brad Friedel. He doesn't seem like he's got experience as a coach. They're three one and one. All credit to New England. Yeah, and you know they've. Uh, you can see there's some cracks still in the armor when it comes mm-hmm. to their pressing. There, there's still some holes. They haven't. They, they really need to uh, tighten that up. But overall, they're a, they've transitioned to a really very good pressing team, and they're creating a lot of shots off of it. They're creating a lot of opportunities off of it. Um, one thing to Montreal's. Uh, I guess discredit was that they were also dealing with a late uh, scratch. Piotti, I guess, didn't travel yeah. with the team. So, you know, yeah. that when your best player uh, in this league does not play, you're a different team. And you could yeah. you could tell um, already Montreal had kind of hoped, uh, prayed for a, a terrible, drawn-out draw. Uh, yeah. And they... New England just did a great job. And you know what, though? It's not just about Lee Wynn that's been strange. It's the the Scott Caldwell over Kellen Rowe. Yeah. That's, Rowe was very good when he came on, to he, be fair. He's been very good all year when he's come yeah. on. I mean, Chris Tierney has been really good in his moments uh, that he's been up there. And, you know, it, you can yeah, definitely feel Friedel has kind of put his own stamp on yeah. on this team. And I don't, I don't have any problems with Scott Caldwell. I think Scott Caldwell is a great hustler. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that he, I don't think he's a true six, and I think he's been misplayed a lot of times. I think he's a pretty solid little tidy passer. Um, he does a collection of things good, but nothing, and I wouldn't even say good he's, above average. He's the Toronto FC of players. No, I, I, I think that's I even. St- I, I think that's I stretching it a little bit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been fine. You know who else has been great? Teal Bunbury. Yeah, Bunbury's been very good. Um, yeah. I'm glad to see him starting, but uh, that kind of means Juan Aguadelo sits the bench, right? Um, yeah. So they have all these young talents, and I guess at this point in time, they're kind of hit their their prime talents at this point uh, at this stage, right? They, Some of them, yeah. So um, Fagundes has obviously started to thrive, and it's great that you can pull off a Kellen Rowe on your bench. And this is the MLS that we now live in, right? Is that you are pulling off Kellen Rose off your bench. You are pulling Juan Aguadello off your bench. I mean, we, we saw uh, NYC can thoroughly demolish uh, RSL without really having to put uh, David Villa, uh, David Villa off uh, except for like the last 15 minutes. I don't know if I quite saw that correct because Joe in it uh, just basically ran the shop. He ran the show up top at the nine and was and was perfectly serviceable, and you, you're you're going to have that. That's uh, Wolf Eichram sitting in Seattle. I mean, he's going to be coming off the bench. You have these players now uh, that are the depth of attackers. That's mm-hmm. that's just what we live in. That being said, there's a yeah. couple teams that I know could could do with a Kellen Rowe, and yeah. Um, yeah. a guy that I kind of feel could be the next uh, quasi kind of ten from the U.S. perspective, um, mm-hmm. it's a little bit disheartening to see him on the bench. So, And I don't necessarily know that that's a permanent thing. Um, I certainly think that... I kind of feel like Friedel maybe perhaps kind of decided to come in and shake some things up for the sake of shaking some things up. Um, just to, you know, and I don't blame him for doing that. Put your stamp on the team. You know, reward the guys you see, give them the extra effort and training. Like, let that be the standard that you set, and you want that to be the standard. And then they've just kept winning, so uh, why mess with it too much, you know? Uh, but it's interesting, and it's not what I expected from New England, uh, even though it's still early. They've really come out of the gate strong. They're sitting third in a very, very competitive Eastern Conference. Uh, so I want to go ahead and say that that as... I won't even say pessimistic, but as uh, suspicious as I was of New England this year. Uh, so far, job well done, guys. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. All right, that's our games. We did it. We're done. Make sure to uh, tune in next week when we promise this is the time we'll talk about RSL, or we might put it off for a week and come up with another good excuse. Um, my name is Ian Laverson. Uh, as always, thank you to my co-host, Harrison Crow. He can be found on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow, where he will be subtweeting me. Um, please, 
please uh, follow uh, the American Soccer Analysis on Twitter. It's at Analysis Evolved. I think we're also on Facebook. I, should, I assume it's... Well, well, we'll post that link up somewhere. I think it's in our Twitter bio. Uh, mostly we're, we're pretty active on Twitter. Uh, visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. That's three. I did not quite get to four, uh, so I do get a dock in my pay. Um, we've got some good articles coming up this week, tomorrow, or actually today, uh, when you're listening to this, uh, me and Harrison's weekly feature, Lowered Expectations, uh, will be there. Uh, also, some great stuff from our Where's other, that located uh, at? It's www.americansocceranalysis.com. Uh, <laughs> uh, as always, we got a lot of really smart, talented people there that are working hard on projects. Uh, I can promise you some really interesting stuff uh, getting dropped and published in the next month. Um, that's it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we look forward to uh, doing this again next week. We'll see you then. And until then, enjoy the soccer. Bye.